If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Poleski and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine is in the cloud. For a change-up, today let's talk about LRT. Woo-hoo. What? Here's Scott Thompson. There's an idea. You know, really, when, when I wrote that, it, 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 the LRT was really a joke. And then there's a story in the news today about how the supply chains could affect the LRT. So I, I didn't honestly, I wrote that last night. And, 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 you know, here we are. I get up this morning and LRT could be delayed or something because of supply chains. I shouldn't say delayed, but there's obviously concerns about that because there's concerns about everything in regard to a supply chain. So osmosis, I don't know what the heck that was. Um, uh, but anyway, um, w- can we fit some LRT in today? We'll see what we can do. All right. Uh, good afternoon. It's Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber is on the board in the newsroom. Lisa Pleski and Dave Woodard. And, uh, you know, often we let the kids pick the top hour tune. They choose it, whatever, and it, it reflects whatever they're thinking today. And oddly enough, we got a note from a listener. And this is from Doug in Burlington, and uh, I'm going to read you his note. It says, Hi, Scott, in the spirit of trying to bring all of us together, everyone who has their own and differing perspective on the pandemic and vaccines and the government and our freedoms and so on and so on, I was wondering if you would consider playing a song to your listeners to remind us all not to give up on ourselves and not to give up on each other. What do we want our lives to stand for? How do we want to prop up ourselves and not to give up on each other and support those who are hurting no matter what their beliefs are this is one of the last songs uh, penned by local man neil peart of rush who wrote the lyrics uh before we lost him i think you will enjoy it this is obviously the song the garden by rush one of the most memorable lines is the measure of a life is a measure of love and respect so hard to earn so easily burned I encourage the listeners to not lose hope during these difficult times. Continue to strive and earn the love and respect of your family members, your co-workers who have differing opinions and who feel that they are making the best decisions that are right for them. Let's not burn those relationships. Let's come together once again in faith and hope. Love and respect for each other when it's the hardest to give is what I believe will get us to a better place. I was inspired by this song, and I hope others may also be given hope. Thanks for hearing me out, Doug, in Burlington. So there you go. Uh, Well put, Doug, and uh, something we should all remember in uh, all of this as he uh, chooses Rush, the garden, and we picked that for our top hour song today. All right, where are we now as uh, we move forward in all of this? Dr. Kieran Moore uh ontario chief medical officer is giving a news conference uh, right now there's um, all kinds of chatter going around in ontario uh or rather in the back uh back rooms of ontario politics that uh some of the uh restrictions could be loosened ahead of time 
uh, and that is a discussion that is going on. Uh, Dr. Uni is uh, from the science table. Uh, is saying that uh, you know because of the vaccines and and, and where we are uh, that uh, the passports is is also something that has to be uh, revisited. So again, nobody's talking about swinging open the doors and running naked out into the daisies, uh, but certainly certain uh, measures, uh, you know, they are talking about uh, lifting and moving forward, which is virtually what all of the provinces are doing right the way across the country. Uh, the Prime Minister at this point still holding solid uh, and digging in his heels uh, and and uh, he is where he is on on uh, his position not to um, uh, not to change direction not to alter his plans and uh, earlier today opposition leader from the, uh, the conservatives temporary uh, Candace Bergen uh, put forth a motion that will force a vote uh, for the feds to table a plan and get us moving forward on this. So they, uh, th- this is going to be before the House of Commons again, and they'll have this vote on Monday, and everybody is looking for a plan. What is the way out? And instead of really moving forward and giving us all hope, we're kind of stuck in this protest mode uh, when it seems that the rest of the world is, is moving on. And uh, it's interesting uh, to see how this is all panning out when even Candace Bergen said uh, today uh, something that we've said on this show for the last two weeks, which is uh, Dr. Tam, Dr. Bonnie Henry out of BC, well-respected, member of NASI, Dr. Kieran Moore out of Ontario, and and that's just mentioning a few, that it's time to <laughs> to go in a different direction, and yet with the with the protests and such that's going on, um, it, it doesn't seem that uh, the prime minister wants to address that, uh, and instead says follow the science. What we really are having a hard time uh, understanding is exactly what science he is talking about at this point. Uh, so, sorry, Will, the clip of Jagmeet Singh. We have a clip here. Uh, Jagmeet Singh was quite uh, vocal this morning during his news uh, conference and, uh, again, begging the Prime Minister for some sort of leadership on this. Uh, initially, the pro- uh, 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 the uh, the Prime Minister was shoving this off to the provinces. Um, you know, now he's shoving it off to the Conservative Party. It's all their fault for whipping these people into a frenzy. Uh, he's the PM. Anyway, here's what uh, Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, had to say. Take this seriously and do everything possible to fix it. People need help. They've been saying we need help. The mayor of Windsor says we need help. The city officials of Ottawa say they need help. Deliver the help. Show leadership. There are no excuses for one of the wealthiest countries in the world and the prime minister who's got all the tools and resources at his disposal not doing everything possible to fix this. And that's what we're calling for. Show leadership, fix this problem, make sure people are safe, get our borders back opened up again, take this seriously, and do everything possible to fix it. Uh, another interesting point that Jagmeet Singh uh, said this morning is that it was day 12 before the Prime Minister even spoke to the Mayor of Ottawa. And we all know by that time, this was uh, well on its way past a barn fire. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Astonishing news to come out of uh, uh, Jagmeet Singh's 
uh, news conference today saying that uh, the mayor of Ottawa uh, didn't get a meeting with uh, the prime minister. They didn't talk until 12 days into this, which by that time, uh, the barn fire was, uh, you know, a full blaze. Uh, to talk more about all of this and where it's going, and now that the borders are involved, and many have said that now that that's happened, uh, it's torqued up another notch. Uh, clogging up Ottawa is one thing, clogging up a border, completely different. Henry Jasek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Thanks, Henry. I hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing well at home, that's for sure. <laughs> Not outside <laughs> yeah. of home, though. But okay. I can hear you. I can hear you. So now this has obviously moved. It uh, hasn't moved. It's uh, also added to what's going on to Ottawa. Uh, obviously, the borders, including the Ambassador Bridge, which we know the importance of that and trade and such. How does this change the discussion? Many have said this will be solved a lot quicker than the one in Ottawa. Well, I don't see it at all. I mean, uh, we we see out the, the border that was closed in uh, out in Alberta into the U.S., uh, even though the premier uh, out there, Kenny, is doing things to uh, to do things that the protesters would like, but they don't seem to be, you know, picking up and going away. Uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of facts have come out in the last 24 hours about the organization of the of the sit-ins, and I think this is a lot serious than we might than we might have imagined. Uh, we have reports that over. Uh, 300 former uh, police officers, retired police officers, are involved in, in the organization of this. Uh, huge amount, uh, large amounts of money have come in from the U.S. and from. Other so, countries. hang on, are these Canadian officers or American? Are you talking about Americans uh, yeah, or Canadians no, here? Retired police officers in Canada. Right. And also over uh, over 15 over 50 people who are uh, retired members of our own armed forces. Uh, and you just look at the organization. I mean, it's incredible what they, what they, how they, you know, they came in and all those tr- uh, trucks that we've seen down in uh, in uh, Ottawa. Uh, they have, weren't empty. They were bringing supplies to stay a long time. And I mean, and, and and then I mean, the most amazing thing to me is that the police in Ottawa believed them when they were coming in on the Friday of the first uh, weekend, and they said, "Well, don't worry, we'll be gone by Monday." <laughs> and what it did, it allowed them three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, to completely get get, get everything set up and get themselves uh, immovable uh, on Parliament Hill and uh, set up their base camp outside of the baseball stadium, uh, you know, in, in in Ottawa. And now it's very very difficult to move them. And and, and you know, these are this is a professional. Very, very professional, organ, organized, uh, a really attack on on the on the on the uh, on, on the government. There's absolutely no question about it, and it's going to be very difficult to get rid of them because of the the way they are organized and they're ready for you know they're they're ready to just defy authorities uh, of all you know no matter what anybody says, what the parliament says, the prime minister says, they're, they're just completely ignore ignore them, and it's got a dynamic of its own. And now we're having it with these blockages of these um, ways into the U.S. Uh, I mean, already here in Ontario, stores are reporting that their their uh, vegetable and the fruit deliveries uh, and other type of deliveries, uh, health uh, supplies and things, are not not coming into their stores now today because they're held up because they can't get in through into the normal ways of getting into the province. Uh, with all due respect, Henry, how yeah. long can the prime minister go on? 
blaming the Americans, blaming the funding, blaming whoever the the smart organizers of this all in the beginning, blaming the people who protested along the route who were totally vaxxed and just average citizens. How long can you keep blaming the city police department, uh, the mayor of Ottawa, who he didn't speak to for 12 days? Then he started blaming the provinces. Now he's blaming the conservatives for fueling the fire. So how long, with all due respect, we all know how bizarre this has been become but how long can the prime minister keep blaming everybody including those people across the border except himself he's the one that has to end this he's the one that's got to come up with a solution he he can blame whoever he wants uh and uh it it won't do it i personally don't think it's going to do any good i i don't think i don't think no matter what he does no matter what the opposition does no matter what the ontario government does which isn't doing much right now of anything uh, uh, any of it's them, not the ontario government's responsibility these are federal border crossings it, it, it amazes me it amazes me henry how many people on the left are pushing this off the front lawn of the prime minister and trying to trying to blame everybody else this started in ottawa it's going to end in ottawa it's now spread to borders and the rest of the country yeah. those are all federal things so again i know a lot of people are trying to push it off onto the provinces and don't these people know that the regulations are that well that's just that's that's going nowhere what happened at the beginning is nobody took these people serious nobody reached out in olive branch and it's grown to what it's grown so when is the prime minister going to take responsibility for this like jugmeet singh has been saying yeah, well, I mean, you certainly, I mean, he has to take ultimately the responsibility. There's been cl- clearly an intelligence breakdown here. They, the, on, on the Canadian government... He didn't talk not, to the mayor for 12 days, the yeah, first well, 12 days. But, but, but by that time, the cat was out of the bag. And, but, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, they, didn't, they didn't pay attention to all the chatter that was going on among these people on the Internet saying what they were going to do. And they and they basically just let them set up their camp, and they basically in the pro. And I I must say that yes, you can blame the prime minister. He that should have been reported to him. And when it was reported to him that this this, uh, you know, these people who are coming to do these sort of things, we've got to stop them before they they come to the center of Ottawa, before they get on the bridges. We got to stop them from getting there. That that was the big thing. You didn't and maybe separate them and maybe separate them from the average Canadian who's protesting. But instead, he painted them all with the same brush. And now we are where we are. We've got a divisive prime minister, and he's not he's not pulling back. He's not pulling back from this, Henry, and it's frightening. Well, I, I, you know, I, I I agree with you, but I don't think it would do any good even if he did pull back. Well, it's too late now. Cat out of the bag. I mean, he he waited too long. He waited too long. Absolutely. They should have nipped this in the bud. It was his responsibility, his government's responsibility to nip it in the bud, and they didn't do it. And now we've got this very big problem. That's, that's what I would blame him for. You've got to be, I mean, if you're, if you're in charge of government, you've got to be looking, as one, one political scientist wrote many years ago, you've got to be standing out in the street and looking at the horizon and seeing the problems come over the horizon and immediately acting. And they didn't. They they just ignored all the signals that this was going to be a very serious uh, blockade. And and these people are well organized, and they they had to stop them before they could reach their destinations. 
And I'm not trying to lay blame here, Henry, but the point is there's nothing changing moving forward. There is no plan moving forward. i got to let you go there, Henry. Another great spirited discussion. I appreciate that. Henry Jasek, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. All you have to do is look at the footage of the Ambassador Bridge to see that uh, traffic has uh, at least, at the very least, come to a crawl. Uh, Coming back from the U.S., I don't even believe it's coming in. Uh, Let's bring in Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. He is with us now. Reggie, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon. So how is this being viewed in the U.S.? How is this affecting Americans? Well, I mean, look, in a, in a couple of different ways here, it's being viewed in the United States as an actual story, which is rare for something to be happening in Canada to kind of break the headlines in the United States, not just kind of, uh, you know, skirting the headlines in the papers. It's actually now being picked up by uh, most uh, of the networks and, and the cable shows. Uh, and it's also now starting to cause some concern, mostly in and around the border areas like in Michigan, where they fear that this is going to have uh, a, a kind of a disruptive impact or effect on supply chains. Uh, notably towards the auto industry. But the fact that you have Republican lawmakers, Democratic lawmakers, and the White House now starting to pay attention and voice concern uh, or in Republicans kind of way praise for this, uh, this is now a story that is impacting the United States. Uh, we're hearing that uh, traffic is coming uh, in, from the uh, Canada into the states. At least this was the story yesterday, but not the other way. Obviously, uh, blo- uh, blocking uh, the border uh, crossing. How much is this backing up into the United States? How long before this really does uh, move to the the top story, where it becomes a huge disruption? Well, I mean, look, it already is becoming uh, the top story, the big disruption uh, in Michigan. You had the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, come out uh, within the last several hours to to say that the border needs to be reopened uh, and momentum is uh, at risk. She made a point of saying commercial traffic, quote, is at a standstill at the bridge, at the Blue Water Bridge, at the Ambassador Bridge, uh, and that families in Michigan can't do their jobs, but also that the automotive sector is being impacted. Uh, We've reached out and heard uh, from uh, Democratic lawmakers uh, in Michigan, uh, from Republican lawmakers in Michigan, who simply say that the Trudeau uh, liberals need to do something in order to kind of get life back to normal here. So this is a top story in Michigan. It is a broader top story in conservative media in the United States because the blockades and the convoy really have been propped up by Republicans uh, in the U.S. really trying to say that what they see in this convoy, uh, they see it as a kind of good thing to push back on government. So you're getting it as a top story, but for two very different reasons. Uh, up here, uh, many uh, are blaming the Americans for funding this, that the the money and, and, and such is coming in from the United States. Any any reporting on that? Well, look, uh, we've talked to disinformation uh, and misinformation experts who kind of research this stuff over the last couple of days. And they say, yeah, look, some of the money is coming from the United States. Some of the money is also coming uh, from countries uh, around the world trying to stand in solidarity. There's one, uh, you know, after the GoFundMe uh, 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 kind of campaign was shut down for violating the rules, there are other uh, kind of campaigning online fundraising efforts that are moving forward. Uh, some of them have hundreds of thousands of dollars that have already been pumped into it. So the money is still uh, kind of being moved around. But it's also worth pointing out here, Scott, that yes, the money is being used to kind of finance and, and uh, ensure that logistics are in place for these Canadian convoys. But there are a whole slew of convoys uh, that are being discussed across the United States where some of this money is also being funneled towards. So it is a big story in Canada. And there is a fear here that when the next couple of days, this could become a kind of copycat and similar story in the U.S.
Uh, this all started way back when in Ottawa in regard to the vaccine uh, vaccine mandate for truckers to cross borders. Um, a- any sort of chatter as if that if that will be altered at all in order to ease this? Uh, well, I mean, uh, you know, there, there, there is an opportunity uh, for that going forward. But I mean, look, the, the conversations right now, at least in the United States and at least uh, in Michigan or in New York, where there are a potential for some convoys to potentially head over to the Peace Bridge uh, this weekend, uh, they are simply saying that something needs to be done. We heard from the prime minister say uh, that, you know, it's unclear how they're going to be able to move these blockades away. Uh, and for Republicans and for Democrats in the United States, that's simply not good enough. They want to see some kind of concrete solution here, the kind of reliant on uh, Ottawa to be able to come up with a resolution to this uh, to this issue, because this really is a Canadian issue that is having, uh, you know, a, a beginning impact uh, on the U.S., which, you know, the industry, when it comes to supply chains, uh, has already been hit hard from the pandemic. So here you have now a kind of a secondary layer uh, on top of that. There really is a concern here um, for, for, for whatever happens and for whatever reason it's happening. Uh, there's been chatter up here, Reggie, in regard to bringing in the military. Uh, still nothing on that in regard to uh, getting the blockades out of Ottawa. Any uh, thoughts if that will be used on the border? Is Would the U.S. be involved in that in any way? Or is this being viewed as, hey, that's on your side of the fence, not on our side? Well, I mean, look, if it's on the Canadian side, then the U.S. military or the U.S. National Guard has 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 no jurisdiction to be able to take part in this whatsoever. So it would be left to Ottawa to try and remove uh, the blockade. If blockades started up on the U.S. side, obviously that would then become a conversation between the state government and between the federal government to figure out uh, how to best kind of mobilize uh, the crews that will be needed. I think there's going to be much broader conversations about this going forward, though, considering that there are uh, conversations about a potential convoy starting up uh, on the West Coast this weekend, potentially to disrupt the Super Bowl. Uh, And then that convoy is going to make its way, according to the Kind of uh, chatter that we're seeing online towards Washington that could disrupt President Biden's State of the Union on March 1st. The White House is being cagey. They're dodging answers on what they're doing for potential security preparations ahead of that. Uh, but but you can re- uh, you, you, you can understand that this is likely going to be something that is discussed kind of state by state, fearful that this could get in the way uh, of logistics, this could get in the way uh, of other transport trucks that need to get around, but this could get in the way of day-to-day life up to and including postal delivery. So they are watching what's happening in Canada right now, understanding that this could potentially be on the way to the U.S. Uh, this obviously snuck on Ottawa, uh, snuck up on Ottawa. I, I think they all kind of turned their back, hoping it would go away. Uh, would that be the case in the United States? Do you think you'll see the convoys mobilizing down there the way they have up here? I mean, look, they're already being kind of goaded into this mobilization by conservative media. For the last several days, Fox News really has been hyping up this Uh, you know, this kind of culture war in Canada to say, look, if you rise up against the government, uh, you know, to push back on mandates that may or may not exist, uh, this is something that we can probably do down here. So you're seeing this push from Republican lawmakers, from uh, members of the far right who have a platform to be able to talk, even from the former president who gave his praise to the truckers uh, in Ottawa for, uh, for, for their protests. Uh, this is something that could become problematic down here. And it is something that is getting a lift from uh, the right. 
the left and the Democrats are kind of looking at this saying, look, we could be in, in uh, you know, the line of fire for an economic disruption. Uh, but the Republican side is really pushing this to say, look, we've had enough of mandates. We've had enough uh, of kind of the way that COVID has been treated. But they're ultimately using this potential for a convoy here to really push back on the Biden administration as a whole. So this could become a much bigger problem in the U.S. Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent. Make sure you're watching Global News for all uh, more on all of this. Reggie, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Many have been chatting, uh, although uh, leaders are reluctant to do so for obvious reasons, uh, have been talking about the military to solve this problem. Is it even possible? Let's bring in Christian Leprac, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the McDonald laurie Institute and is with us now. Christian, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Always a pleasure. I am indeed. So uh, it seems that it looks like uh, the military is the only way out. Is it, Christian? Uh, do we use the military in a scenario like this, whether it's the border crossings or Ottawa? And I know they're two very uh, different scenarios, but your thoughts? Uh, we have enough law enforcement personnel in this country to, ma- to ensure this remains a law enforcement operation. So we don't need the military in charge. We may need, under Section 273 of the National Defense Act, the military in support of law enforcement activities, in particular to remove some of the trucks from Ottawa, because you need people uh, in an organization that have that can drive trucks and that the state controls and that also have the assets uh, to uh, get those trucks out of the downtown, to load them onto uh, flatbeds um, and so forth. And the challenge is not only that civilian tow truck drivers Um, uh, likely don't want to do this task, you would also, as the state, possibly be asking people to put themselves in harm's way if the protest, there's fisticuffs or other sort of violence that would break out during such an operation. So there's a potential for the military to support such an operation, but it will not be the military engaging in straight out law enforcement activities. So in other words, uh, when it comes to removing the the vehicles and having the uh, the, uh, the military or the hardware needed to do that, uh, trucks, what have you, that's when they would come in. Uh, what about when it's time to move in uh, and, in, and, and invade this? protest for lack of a better term you could probably come up with a better one would the military be standing behind them is that there is that there would that be considered support um i would find it deeply troubling if we had to call on the military to do this we have three of the largest law enforcement agencies in the country involved the ontario provincial police the sûreté du québec on the other side of the river and the rcmp all of them have emergency response teams all of them have public order teams. You can bring in public order and, and, and you can already see some of these units on the ground from Toronto, from the GTA, uh, from Montreal. There is no need to turn this into a military operation. Yes, it, of course, gets expensive uh, when you bring in those uh, those assets uh, from uh, from other cities. But I think it's important for Canada to demonstrate that this remains a law enforcement operation. We can hardly go around the world and criticize authoritarian regimes in China, mm. in Russia, or wherever for heavy-handed police tactics, let alone using their military to go after protesters and then do likewise here. It's simply not commensurate with Canadian reputation, and it's simply not commensurate with our interests in promoting uh, democracy and democratic dissent around the world. 
Obviously, Christian, the border is a priority uh, because of the the goods going back and forth. It literally grinds the the economy to a halt. What do you see as a solution here? Uh, Because obviously it would appear that the quicker the better. Um, With your background, what do you see? What's your hunch? Well, one solution is that we need a more prudent communication strategy by the government with the protesters. Simply denouncing people uh, is going to get people's backs up. Uh, So I think um, we need to think more carefully here. At Thai Dinega, we spent three weeks waiting it out while people blocked the rail lines in 2020. Um, We're probably going to need to show some strategic patience, and we're probably going to need to be more prudent in the strategy that we're going to employ on the Ambassador Bridge than we did at Thai Dinega, where where some key mistakes were made, especially by the federal government in the way it dealt with the protesters. So um, I think we need to make sure that local, provincial and federal authorities, um, as well as all levels of government, coordinate on their engagement uh, with how to contain the protesters and how to engage with the protesters, rather than getting the collective actions problems and the coordination issues that we saw in Tainanega. What can the prime minister do? Can he lower the temperature? Um, I'm not sure the prime minister can do uh, anything that will um, help bring these protests, um, uh, that help will help uh, calm down the protesters. I think it might be prudent if the federal government, by and large, stayed out of this particular issue, because I think anything that might be said is only going to inflame the issues further. Uh, and I think different ministers sending different messages, the opposition getting in on the game has been profoundly unhelpful keep this as a law enforcement problem. Let law enforcement deal with it. Don't engage with the protesters. That's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for a sounding board. So why would you give them the stage that they're looking for? Especially at this stage of the game, uh, as we're into the second week, my goodness. Christian Leprec with us, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and fellow at the McDonald laurier Institute. Christian, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Take care. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Ever wondered what's really going on across the enemy lines in the midst of a convoy or protest or whatever you want to call it? Listen to this. Matt Gurney is with us, co-founder of The Line, a Substack magazine and columnist for the National Post. His latest is there for you now, and he was there. Matt, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, no, uh, back home in Toronto doing some laundry and uh, happy to be sleeping in my own bed again. So describe what you saw. So I I showed up in Ottawa, and I I have to be honest with you, um, everyone I spoke to on the ground was very clear about the fact that Honestly, I was arriving after a lot of the main event. Like, it had really thinned out by the time I got there. Look, even a thinned out version of this was remarkable. Never seen anything quite like this. Uh, Many of the main roads in and around Parliament are completely immobilized by uh, parked vehicles. Some of them are large semi-tractor trucks. Some of them are pickup trucks, personal cars, minivans, RVs. during the daytime, the area around Parliament is uh, a weird festival, um, uh, like a conspiracy theory circus. Mm. Um, you know, I describe the crowd as overwhelmingly white, but not exclusively white. There are, there are a lot of people there who are uh, not uh, as white as I am. There's tons of political slogans, religious slogans. Um, it's, it's kind of, again, kind of like a combination of a protest and a circus. 
at nighttime when all the cheerful people talking about freedom and eating hot dogs grilled up on the barbecues on the site, when they go home, it gets dark. It's a very tense vibe. It's a very different vibe. Um, the police pull way back. The protesters keep a wary eye on the police. The police watch the protesters. I walked all up and down the site. I, I never felt like I was in, uh, threatened in any way. I had good conversations with people. Uh, but that's a very tense scene around Parliament at nighttime. And then, as, as I think you've probably read... There's that other site a little bit outside the city. Yeah, expand a bit on that, Matt, because it seems that there's these little satellite protests. We're hearing of disruption at the airport earlier today. Well, the satellite protests uh, have gotten more complicated even since I left. So there was one at a baseball stadium a handful of kilometers from uh, Parliament where actually the city had designated it as sort of an overflow location for the protesters. Like the city said go here and park. And I had heard from people at the site that it was a very different scene there. At, at, at the Parliament's protest, I'd heard from people there that either I didn't want to go there or that I should go there and be careful. Hmm. So I decided, what the hell, I'll go and I'll be careful. And I went there in broad daylight. Um, I parked uh, away from the main facility so I could uh, walk on over to it and just kind of scout it out slowly It's in a big parking lot next to a baseball stadium, next to a hotel, and it is not like the protest site. It has been ringed with trucks in a perimeter. There are other things making up a barrier, stacked bales of uh, hay, wooden sawhorses, uh, wooden pallets that have been stacked. There's what looks to be, I didn't get to walk the perimeter for reasons I'll tell you in a minute, it looks to be a reasonably solid perimeter. And before I was able to approach it, I was intercepted by people who came out to meet me. And uh, I, they were very polite, uh, all smiles. And it became very clear to me that my presence was not welcome there. And I left immediately. Um, I did have a friend later that day, a photographer, who was able to sneak in with a larger group and get some photos. Uh, she was discovered, and again, very politely, not, not violently, no threats, but she was very politely escorted out of the compound immediately. Uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was quite vocal this morning in, in about the prime minister not addressing or even acknowledging, uh, you know, these people's concerns and such, and didn't speak to the mayor until day 12 of this. Do you get the feeling that there's movement of any sense? No, no, I get, I get the feeling that the opposite, um, I do think there are pockets of people within law enforcement um, and security agencies who understand that this is a challenge. I do not at this time believe that they have been able to get through to the political leadership. I think the political leadership in this country, uh, federally, provincially, and uh, municipally in Ottawa, has been stunned by this. And by stunned, I want to be very clear, I don't mean, like, surprised. I mean shocked, like knocked into a state of numbness which can happen. Like, this is basic human psychology. Sometimes people have a really hard time keeping up with events that are wildly outside their understanding of how the world works. I do think it's changing. I do think it is slightly improving. Um, But I think if you want an understanding of a lot of what we've seen or not seen over the last few days, start with this. Our political leaders thought this was going to be a pretty typical protest. They had lots of reasons not to think that. There had been plenty of intelligence warning, including just in the press, that these guys were planning on sticking around. So it's not like they weren't given warning. 
But for whatever reason, they didn't believe the warning. They thought this was going to be a loud, obnoxious protest that would last a couple of days. Now that they're realizing that's not the case, that these guys are ready to stay, at least some of them in Ottawa, and now that we have three border crossings at least that have been closed by these guys, they're still trying to catch up to the facts on the ground as of last week. They're not even caught up to the present. It seems at the beginning of all of this, Matt, uh, it was more of a festive uh, atmosphere in the in the first weekend that there was a wa- a wide uh, range of support. But the PM sort of continued to paint everybody with the same brush. What's your response to that? Are these people all conservative right wing Americans coming up here to invade Canada? No, no, I, I don't. I don't think these people are all painted with the same brush. I think. You don't need to take my word for it. Every polling company that's been checking the unusual uh, political uh, movements in this country over the last six months have shown the fact that, you know, the People's Party of Canada had a massive surge uh, in the last election. And a lot of those people came from the Green Party. There were liberals. There were NDPers. There, There were obviously some conservatives as well. I'm not denying that. But we are seeing that the pandemic and its restrictions have caused a strange ripple effect throughout Canadian politics where people are being radicalized from all points of the compass, every every segment of the spectrum, and they are furious here. And I think the prime minister during the last election campaign for one day, one day, tried empathy, tried talking about their frustrations, tried to be the leader of all Canadians. And then I guess they focus grouped it and they found out it would work better for the liberal electoral fortunes if he went on the attack against these people. And that's what he's been doing ever since. That's what he continues to do. I don't blame the prime minister for the existence of this fringe. I do think he is making it worse. Matt Gurney with us, co-founder of The Line, a Substack magazine and columnist for the National Post. You can read his latest there. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing the experience. Much appreciated. Be well. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We certainly know what is happening, uh, not only in Ottawa, but also now has moved to uh, international borders, the borders between Canada and the United States, whether it's Coots, Alberta, or or whether it's the Ambassador Bridge, Windsor, Detroit, uh, which has been going on for about four days at the the bridge. Uh, What does this do to supply chains? How long can we play like this before... Uh, there is very serious disruption. Ofer Barron is with us, distinguished professor of operations management, academic director at Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto. Ofer, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks so much. So obviously, uh, Coots Alberta has been going on for a while, on and off. Uh, with various uh, levels of, of disruption. We're certainly seeing that along the Ambassador Bridge as well. Uh, I believe on day four of the protests at the Ambassador Bridge. How much has this affected Canada's supply chain to date just with what we've seen? So I think so far the impact is uh, still relatively minimal, but it's starting to get to a point where... Uh, there is not much sense in, uh, in my opinion, to let this continue. How long does it continue before it uh, does grind the country to a halt? Obviously, a protest along an international border is different than a protest that's on the main drag of Parliament Hill. How long before there's serious consequences? It probably depends on um, who you ask, and especially there are 
different uh, consequences for different uh, parts of the industry. The Ambassador Bridge is obviously with um, quite significant impact to car manufacturing. And I think that, you know, uh, another uh, week or so of this would uh, cause damage that would take, uh, you know, probably three to six months to uh, get back from. And to me, this sounds a little bit too much at a situation uh, like we are at where supply chains are already stressed and the economy is, you know, doing fine, but not great. So obviously this cannot go on and proceed uh, like it has down, uh, done in downtown Ottawa. There has to be a much more quick, efficient way of resolving this. Yeah, to my opinion, uh, there's a point where uh, the government uh, should be involved in uh, allowing people to demonstrate and speak their mind in a fashion that would not cause uh, such a large damage to the economy. You know, we are not allowing uh, hospital workers to uh, strike because they are essentials. We're not allowing police or army to strike because they are essentials. And you cannot allow people to strike on a bridge, which is essential to the economy in a similar fashion. I think they make the point. It's an important point. But the damage that a relatively small number of people causes to uh, an important sector of the economy and therefore to the economy as an whole is a little bit too much. What about uh, the U.S. perspective on this? Can they play a role here or is this our problem? It's on our side of the fence. We're the ones that have to clean it up. What What, what is their role here, if any? Well, some rumors uh, uh, are that uh, the people from the U.S. are sponsoring these demonstrations, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. that's, that's not a role I like. Uh, it's it's uh, annoying to kind of uh, harm the economy of a neighboring country because of your uh, agenda. Uh, I think if you have a, an agenda, do it in your own uh, backyard where it where it uh, matters. And uh, it's fine to support other people in their freedom to demonstrate and uh, in freedom of speech and all of these important aspects, but it doesn't have to be done in such a costly fashion and damaging so many other people at the same time. Would this be affecting the U.S. supply chain as much as it is Canada's? Uh, You know, the U.S. uh, is about 10 times larger than Canada, so there's going to be impact there, but the impact is not as large as uh, the impact on uh, on us. If you think about the vehicle industry about 90-95% of uh, our export is to the US. Uh, Obviously some of this export is being done after we imported some material from them as well, right? Some chips and so on. But um, I think it may have a disproportionately larger impact on the Canadian economy than, than the American one. Obviously, all uh, sectors would be affected by this. Are there some that are affected more than others? Is there, and and I I guess, can you prioritize traffic across the border? Uh, How how does, what about the various sectors involved? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good question. Again, I mean, the main, the main sector that is obviously in our mind on the Ambassador Bridge is car manufacturing and the car supply chain. But obviously, there are other materials that are being there. I think about uh, one quarter uh, of the 
trade between US and Canada goes through this uh, bridge. So that's uh, quite an important uh, gateway for many, many industries. I would hate to rank them, but uh, you know, maybe maybe one can get to an agreement where they are allowed to strike uh, for a few hours one day a week and allow the economy to work during the other time of the week. Uh, or maybe just you move the strike somewhere else and don't allow the blockage of the road. Uh, we've certainly seen disruptions in the past, nothing of this magnitude, of course, uh, rail, but we've seen rail line disruptions, whether it's labor-related or protest-related. Um, how would this compare, is, is, or, is, or are we there yet? Uh, I think in all of these disruptions, the, the people who demonstrate and the government should uh, strike some balance between the importance of having an open discussion of important points and bringing them to to the awareness of everybody and the impact that uh, this can be allowed on the economy. And I think to some extent, because we all hear and know about the stress of this, the global supply chain, the supply chain in Canada, uh, due to the pandemic and other things that added together, we are at the point where we may need to be a little bit more um, assertive in limiting the internal impact, I would call it, of, of people who are demonstrating and, and blocking and harming the supply chain. Oh, for Baron with us, Distinguished Professor of Operations Management, uh, Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto, talking about the protests and how it is affecting supply chains. Uh, Ofer, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good evening. Ontario announcing that it is to resume non-urgent surgeries uh, following a drop in COVID-9 hospitalizations. Uh, unfortunately, Hamilton, one of those areas that's still considered a hotspot and uh, won't necessarily be jumping on that as perhaps the rest of the provinces. Also, schools getting the green light to resume extracurricular activities and also... Uh, announced a little earlier by Dr. Kieran Moore that uh, they're going to revisit uh, all of the timelines and where everything is and uh, provide a timeline with moving forward. Dr. Uni from the science table earlier on uh, was questioning whether the proof of vaccine is needed anymore as it's less rational now. Uh, so obviously uh, a lot of the provinces are moving forward uh, as Ontario is. Uh, however, we still have what we have going on in Ottawa and not a lot of change there as uh, the Prime Minister seems to keep his position of digging in the heels. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director, Abacus Data. He's with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Scott, I am well. Funny you say that. I was just going downtown, down by the convoy to uh, pick up my son at his uh, his daycare. And in front of me was a large truck with hauling a big RV, uh, a big camper. And I saw it parked right in the midst of the whole group. That, those people certainly weren't going anywhere. He looks like he's got a <laughs> sleeping accommodation for eight or nine people there. So, Oh, my goodness. You know, we shouldn't be laughing. You know. But my goodness, where do you go from here? Uh, it seems like there is no way out. Uh, obviously, Ontario uh, re-examining, uh, although it's already started, it's reopening planet started last month, uh, but re-examining some things that could be adjusted. Dr. Uni talking about uh, the vaccine passports and such and whether they're necessary or such. Your thoughts on where the provinces are going right now? 
Well, I mean, I think, and, and I wish the convoy people here would see it and the people at the Ambassador Bridge would see it. They're not going to make it happen faster, uh, but it's happening. Uh, I mean, every it seems every chief medical officer in the country is saying we've got to you know, start living with COVID. And Alberta and Saskatchewan, as you noted, uh, accelerated the dropping of their restrictions. I suspect it sounds like, from what you just reported and what we're hearing about the Premier having a cabinet meeting soon to look about a potential accelerator, it's it's going to happen. I just ask people to have a long-term memory. You'll, you'll recall, or even medium-term, Scott, I mean, this time last year we were calling for more restrictions and measures. I mean, I guess part of living with COVID is like being on the sea. Sometimes you get the crest of the wave, sometimes you get the trough, and I guess we're going down to the trough, which could be good for many. (laughs) Why is the Prime Minister not selling the same message as the provinces are? Uh, And we've been saying this for a couple of weeks, and Candace Bergen said it today uh, during her speech, uh, Dr. Tam, Dr. Henry, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Dr. Kieran Moore, the list goes on, Dr. Uni, saying we've got to start looking forward. Why does he not grasp that message? message and start pushing us forward as opposed to nope we're staying where we are nope we're staying where we are and and again like you said this is all happening around them anyway yeah and he's getting a lot of pressure particularly as it relates uh to restrictions or guidelines around the travel industry too you had alan they were at the airport today a group of doctors saying that it's time for this stuff to stop the the, regarding the testing the testing I don't know if he was so. I don't know if he was spooked by what happened to Jason Kenney uh, last year, as you recall, and others. And he is just going to wait and wait and wait until it's a no-brainer to do it. The problem with that, of course, is uh, the economy has come to a stop. Uh, yeah, I went, but I, look, you and I talked about this the other day. There is this balance. You can't be seen to be given yes. in to yeah. the people that are holding the bridge hostage and the people that are holding Ottawa hostage. And yes, my language is a little colorful there, but if you live here, you feel that way. So the, he's trying to strike that balance. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't be terribly surprised, Scott, before the federal budget, which probably is a month and a half away, that we'll hear the the Fed say some more about all of this. Uh, wow, I wonder what shape Ottawa will be in by then. Um, Listen, I tell you, you and I got to cut a deal with the protesters because they're going to have the best confessions on the, on Canada Day. If Canada Day starts again, if they're not gone by then, I mean, we got opportunity there, Scott. Let's not miss it. Has you know, I heard about the saunas and the hot tubs. What about beaver tails? Is there any? Can you get beaver tails? No, down no, I haven't seen any beaver tails. But porta potties got brought in last night, which is incredible if you think about it. Now, the Ottawa police have said today that over the last 24 hours, I think they've moved 24 trucks have moved yeah. 10 or 12 that were at one staging area and a, and a similar number downtown. But it's, as I say, I'm right down here now. I'm three, four blocks away where the first line starts. And there there's, doesn't look to be a lot of movement. Uh, and as we were discussing earlier in the week, I think a lot of this is predicated on, movement will be predicated on more police coming in and them kicking up the, the ticketing process. I, It's hard to see how this, if we're in this situation uh, next week and they're down to nothing, uh, not down to anything, there's going to be calamity in this city, unfortunately, because people are at their wits' end. What should be the Prime Minister's next move? Give them the RCMP officers that they need, um, you know, and stop all of them. 
hiding around, oh, we're meeting, we're not meeting, we're having tables. If Peter slowly needs the police officers that he needs, and we can hold him accountable later on, the Ottawa chief, give them to him. Uh, he says he was just at a press conference here that they're they're coming. Uh, the Toronto Public Order Squad is on its way. Apparently, we'll be here in 12 hours. The 250 RCMP officers are coming. That sounds like to me, and again, you and I aren't policing experts, that these guys aren't going to be twiddling their thumbs while they're here. Public order squads are usually the people that move people along. So I do wonder if something's going to happen this week. The other thing slowly said, um, uh, Scott, was that uh, don't come to town. That's the first time I've heard that. You want to come to the protest, Mm. please don't. And if you do, uh, be careful what you wish for in terms of accountability. There you have it. Tim Powers, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Everyone has had enough. Uh, Tim, thanks for the time. Good luck. Be well. Thanks, my friend. Bye. Mike, what are your thoughts? Hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm doing well. Thanks. You? Uh, not bad. I, I just don't know what uh, the problem with these mandates are. People should just, I mean, get the kids vaccinated. Like, it has been studied for months. Like, months we're talking here, Scott. These vaccines are clearly safe and effective like but i'm more concerned about my child in 10 years whether he's going to develop cancer or not so to be forced by the government to take an experimental drug is a little silly all right thanks for the call much appreciated you know you got to wonder how many what the end game is for the prime minister are we trying to get 100 percent of the people vaccinated because that's impossible it ain't going to happen for various reasons we're seeing that now so you got to wonder what the end game is at this point for him uh what's a goal you know and again that's what the opposition is looking for they want a plan tabled uh and are going to vote on it monday to to force the government to the federal government to come up with some sort of plan to get out of this as all of the provinces already are here's what some of the callers had to say hello uh, scott frank here i just want to correct you if i may on your um uh, talk with henry where you said you'd like to uh, don't you don't, don't don't want to apologize to to uh Trudeau, but matter of fact, I think uh, we should not apologize to him at all because he has failed in reacting here. Um, and um, due course is now showing that this is precipitating this, tr- this, this demonstration to a point where they're even going to, in the United States, converge on the Super Bowl this Sunday if they if they can. And it's way out of hand. And I don't know why uh, Pierre, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Justin didn't get a hold of the governor of, of uh, Michigan or even that of New York State, in order for them to converge on and, and get into into a talk with Biden. Uh, um, Justin thought that he could just get Biden to, to wave the whip and have this thing stop, which is not the case. And those focal points I just mentioned are areas of high, high concern, and I think they would have maybe be, uh, had done helped to do something for him, but in the, in the, in the, in the same pl- uh, place, he just seemed to sit back, and I think he's way over his head now, and he's going to have to get himself out of high water. The ball's in his court, big time. So keep us up on that. Thanks, Scott. Bye bye. This is Mike, uh, and I think uh, I think there's there's one thing that the prime minister could do to, to help calm down all these truckers and all these protesters. And uh, I, I I completely support what they what they're doing and what they're standing for. Um, I think all he has to do is talk to them and converse with them and have a meeting with them and come to common ground. Uh, these protesters already stated they're not anti-vaxxers, uh, regardless of what other news people are saying. Uh, they're not racist. They're not, they're not everything that they're showing in the media right now. You know what I mean? 
I think he just needs to talk to him and and come to a common ground, and, and that could end things pretty quickly. I think one mistake he has made is painting them all with the same brush, although at this point uh, you got to think it's just the hardcore that's there now, but you cannot paint everybody with the same brush. We certainly know that. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Considering where we are, and in, in it appears that provinces are starting to open up, the hospitalizations are going down, uh, and, and many uh, uh, of the doctors we've spent the last two years listening to, whether it's Dr. Tam or Bonnie Henry or what have you, Dr. Moore, have said it's time to uh, look at reopening, yet we still seem to be stigmatizing that last, uh, whatever it is, 10% that are not vaccinated. Is it time for the Prime Minister to change the message, start celebrating what we have, as opposed to uh, constantly, uh, you know, selling the same message? Let's bring in Dr. Carrie Bowen, bioethicist, assistant professor, Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Very well, and thank you. Is it time to be changing the message here? It seems that the provinces, uh, you know, whether ever so delicately, some not at all, uh, are, are starting to move forward. Is it time uh, to change the messaging here, considering that's what we're hearing from some of our top doctors? Well, you know, perhaps it is. So let's start with the big picture. Throughout Western culture, left, right and centre, entire nations um, are walking away uh, from any form of covid mandates you know the, the list just keeps getting longer ireland and uh sweden recently of course denmark before that of course britain is the big example and then we, when we look to the united states um you've got both red and blue states that are starting to walk away from this and you know the question is what we hear in different places including ontario is we'll just follow the science but you know, there's no clear line between science and policy. These things are, are very political and I would argue quite ethical. And yes, if we walk away from all of this now, uh, there would be consequences, but we have to have a conversation about are we willing to protect the vulnerable and are we willing to, to do that? It's not the same profile of this pandemic as it was six months ago. It's very, very different. And the other complicating factors, because we don't fully understand the, the true nature of what's going on with Omicron fully, I mean, really grasp it, um, it makes it tough. And then of course, it's the trucker situation. And that's, you know, is that gonna open us up or shut us down? I mean, the problem is we now have politicians that may not wanna see weak and, and caving into the protests. So very, very tough. I would say, however, to answer your question a little more directly, it is, absolutely time to reconsider every element of what we're doing. Um, and when we start with our airports and travel, we have the stupidest system going. We're spending millions of dollars for unnecessary testing. And yes, we, we want to screen for other potential variants, but there's other ways to do it. March break is about to come. And the problem with rules that don't make sense, like the airports, is that you lose trust of the entire population when yeah. you hang on to rules that may have had their purpose, but are not necessary now. How do we unite the the country, Carrie? I mean, how how do we bring this all back together? Um, you know, how do we how do we unite with people who we may not agree with? Well, this is you know, and 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 who knew that in Canada, you know, that that we had such strong and deep rooted opinions. I mean, I suspected it. I mean, 
you know, I think our politicians, I'm not going to blame it all on them, but they were more than happy to to turn this into us and them and use this as, as yeah. a political football. And they really set this on fire. They've been feeding the wolf for a long time. You know, at this point, I don't know what we should do. I mean, I you know, watching the news today, our economy is now in some, we've got a very, very serious national situation on our hands. And, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in negotiation. And some people would say, are you kidding? Those people are crazy, but they're not all crazy. And this is a reality of Canadian life right now. We've got to find a way forward. And I think we, we may have to negotiate. Are we at a turning point here? Will we learn something from this, Carrie, from an ethical standpoint? Or are we going to hell in a handbasket? Well, kind of both. <laughs> I, think <we> are. <laughs> I think the next week's actually going to be very difficult. I don't know what's actually going to happen. What we've learned from an ethical point of view is that we didn't have nearly enough citizen involvement in, in the many, many public health measures that were made. We assumed we did, but we never did. And, and the strong, aggressive talk was not a good idea and to simply say you're nuts you're radical you know yeah. like it wasn't useful and it was good for politicians and you know even the ceos of hospitals you know people came across as, as seeming strong and decisive to just attack anyone that's not vaccinated and you know it wasn't a great idea we really didn't look at conflict management at the time and now we've got quite a crisis on our hands I think we have to find a negotiated way forward. I am so hoping this doesn't end in violence. That would be awful. And look, I'm going to add this. The entire world is watching. I'm doing television for the People's Republic of China after this, you know, and I huh. it, like there's all kind of, you know, we're absolutely under spotlight. And I'll tell you, we're not looking good. Dr. Kerry Bowman with us, bioethicist and assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine, University of Toronto. Doctor, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. We'll have hope. Yeah. You're welcome, Scott. Talk again. Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer. He'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We certainly know where we are now. How do we move forward? And what can the Prime Minister do to try to unite Canadians? Although he does say we are united. uh, To unite Canadians and focus on the way out of this rather than continuing with the same stance. We're hearing provinces slowly start to open up. Ontario uh, announcing uh, that it will look at its timeline as well and and, uh, allowing extracurricular activities and such uh, non- um, non-essential surgery to, I guess all surgery is essential, uh, to uh, continue on and, and restart and such and get rid of some of those white lines. So uh, it appears that the provinces are starting to move forward and, and even medical officials saying so, but the prime minister seems kind of stuck in, in, uh, in labeling the anti-vaxxers and, and we need to push on and listen to the science. But what can we do, what can he do to try to bring everybody together on this? Uh, because it seems as if we're miles apart. Let's bring in Jean-Vivre Tellier, Professor School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa, and with us now. Jean-Vivre, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well, and I hope you are too, Scott. So far, so good. Uh, what does the Prime Minister do? How can What can he do to not so much end the protest? Um, you, you know, I'm sure everybody wants to know what, what he can do to solve that issue, but as far as uniting Canadians... Uh, what can we do to, to, to bring Canadians together on this? 
You know, I, I'm not sure. And as uh, you are doing, I'm also thinking about that and wondering, well, well, what can he do? One thing for, is clear for me is that he must do something. So we have not seen the prime minister often the last days. Uh, we should probably see him a bit more. And uh, everybody is talking about uh, going out of this pandemic. And maybe he should have and sh he should lay out a plan to, to tell to Canadians what is coming up for the next, uh, maybe not days, but weeks or months. But the thing is that most of the measures that were put in place were measures uh, adopted by provinces. There is not a lot of things that the federal government has done to limit what we could do during the pandemic. The government has spent mostly money to help people, to help Canadians. But, but that being said, there is one uh, aspect that uh, the government has to manage, and that's uh, concerned borders. And so I would certainly expect something to be do, done regarding borders, especially knowing that in a few weeks the snowbirds will come back into the country. And so uh, maybe he should lay out a plan of uh, opening more the borders and maybe if it is still mandatory to have the vaccine or the passport or whatever. I don't know, but do, do something to that regard. Uh, it seems as if, and, you know, and we all know that a lot of these uh, restrictions are done at the provincial level. But again, uh, to me, I think that's gaslighting in that at the end of the day, uh, people want to see what the science is saying. And the science is saying it's time to move forward. Dr. Tam, Dr. Henry, Dr. Moore have all said that. Uh, and again, I know this might be other jurisdictions, but it's it's pretty obvious this is directed towards the prime minister and 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 it seems that everybody's taking a different position except for him that he keep and he said the other day we got to follow the science well you've got all these people saying you know the science is saying you got to readjust this how significant is it with candace bergen saying that she wants to force a vote uh, asking them for some sort of plan uh, and we understand that vote's going to happen on monday what what will that do and and will we get a plan out of the prime minister with something like that that's how it has always been the weak spot of the prime minister remember two years ago we were also asking for a plan, a plan. the plan was coming very soon very quick when it, when money was involved uh, but for other things, and again, I go back to the borders because I think it's a good example. Uh, the federal government was so slow to act on the border. And at the time, the science was saying close the border and it, the government were not closing the border. Now it seems the reverse. So we are now saying, yes, open the borders. And, and they're going slowly on that. Uh, what he should do, the, the federal government was good when he was able to bring all the provinces and the territory together and speak with them and try to come up with a unified or a common approach towards the, the pandemic. And I think we should go back to those meetings where they were, were meeting every week or so, uh, trying to discuss the various issues for everybody and then try to see how they could put on their their strength, their forces, their resources together and come up with a big national plan without, of course, um, neglecting the fact that uh, there are some dif uh, provincial differences. But that's for the prime minister to do and, and premier must jump into that. And so what we have heard also the last days that Doug Ford was not participating that much in some of the meetings that occur with, with uh, Justin Trudeau. And so that remained to be seen if it could be done. But yes, uh, this, Justin Trudeau and the federal government perform best when they do reach out to others and speak which we don't see that much now 
Again, uh, with all due respect, uh, Javier, um, you know, the other day we saw uh, the federal government blaming Ottawa, the Ottawa Police Department, and some are blaming the, the provinces. Uh, then it's blaming the Americans and blaming the right-wing extremists that are funding this. At what point does the prime minister stop blaming everyone else, including the opposition? He's the guy running the ship. Yeah. Uh, at what point does he stand up and, and take command of this? It should have been done already, and uh, maybe now it's time time to do it now. And, you know, uh, for most Canadians, it doesn't matter who's to blame. I mean, uh, they, they, they all want, we all want to see the governments, uh, whatever level they are at, working together. And if it doesn't work in Ottawa, if it doesn't work in Windsor, we want the problem to be resolved. And so uh, if it's the federal government, provincial, the municipality, whatever, we want we want to see the, the, the result of those issues ending. And so uh, blaming, has, it's, it's a natural habit from politicians, though. Uh, they are quick to blame others. Uh, but at the point, it doesn't serve them very well. And I think it's starting to be a disservice for Trudeau uh, now, not taking action and trying to solve go at the heart of the matter, which is how do we end those restrictions and what's the future hold for, for us? Has the Prime Minister lost the room? Um, it, it depends. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, sometimes we see him and he tries to say no, no. Uh, and it does say a few things that are interesting. Uh, he does say to the opposition, for instance, well, step up your game also and, and, and let's all try to to steer in the same direction. But at other times, yes, uh, you, you you may have heard about this uh, MP from Quebec that voices concerned publicly and then was... Well, I guess bringing- there's two now. Uh, yes, now it's two from Quebec, and and those are well uh, established and well renowned uh, MP in the province, and so that's 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 not a good thing to do uh, from a political point of view. You should you should allow your MP to voice publicly the concern and and address those concerns. We want to know what the prime minister think about uh, the remark that were uh, that were said, and we don't know that, and so. Yes, uh, I think Justin Trudeau is missing uh, some opportunity now to be more present and to show some sign of leadership. And I cannot want uh, help myself making a parallel with this situation. And you remember the railroad blockade that yeah. we had three years ago? Yeah. It, it, we're, we're saying basically the same thing. We're saying, where's the leadership? Should we wait until a catastrophe comes, like the Ambassador yeah. Bridge at his block? Um, and no, that's not what we want. But uh, what's the outcome? And we are waiting for that. Jean-Viève Tellier with us, Professor of School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa. Jean-Viève, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You too. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. We haven't talked about this for a while because we've seem to got our own problems going on back here. Uh, but obviously, uh, the situation on the border between Europe, or sorry, between Russia and Ukraine is, uh, intensifying and Europe is now scouring the globe looking for liquefied natural gas out of fear that there could be some sort of conflict and a gas crunch. Uh, of course, the natural gas comes from Russia. Uh, however, Europe's having difficulty. There's not enough out there. Why? There's plenty in Canada. Oh, because we've shut everything down or refuse to build any pipelines to help the rest of the world because we're too busy trying to save the planet. But we forgot about countries like Russia or China or the rest of the world. Uh, but it's all about us looking good, isn't it?
That's what it's about. Uh, let's bring in Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, former Liberal MP, and with us now. Dan, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am, and thanks for having me, Scott. Oh, I'm getting a little testy today, Dan. I've been on a half an hour too long. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get to the Europe thing, uh, you're a former liberal MP. Uh, What's your take on on what is happening? And with the specifically the border situation, is that going to create problems with our energy? Well, it won't create problems as far as refined gasoline or oil is concerned. Thankfully, that's all done by pipeline, and uh, pipeline brings in natural gas. It brings in natural gas liquid for propane, and it brings in, of course, oil. Uh, but, of course, it is going to have an impact on uh, pretty much everything that relies on just-in-time, and uh, this is going to start to show up uh, not so much in price but in availability of pretty much every product. That's uh, That border between Windsor and uh, Sarnia and Detroit and Port Huron happens to be uh, among, if not the largest trade zone in the world. So uh, it's blockage uh, or it's interruption or it's disruption uh, is uh, is likely to have pretty significant impacts. And it's a bit of course ironic that the uh, governor of the, uh, of the state of Michigan, who uh, yes. is really quick to try to shut down the line five pipeline, which would affect her state and our provinces uh, now wants uh, this uh, this interruption to be resolved so you know talk about uh, well <laughs> for lack of a better term uh, yeah. being hypocrite so uh, again you are a former liberal MP uh, it seems we have an incredibly divided country here what and it seems that 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 provinces and in the rest of the world and, and even the doctors are saying it's time to move on but the prime minister seems to be digging in his heels and continuing to vilify the the last whatever 10 percent that's that, that's not vaccinated what does the prime minister need to do to unify this country and move forward act like a leader not to play to divisive politics this guy is instigated much it's funny how they talk about right popular it's funny how they talk about populism and it's a right wing thing. But if this isn't left wing populism, I don't know what is getting everybody yeah. on board to vilify the last 10 percent. That's populism. Look, I know most of his ministers and uh, had a hand in getting them help, getting them as members of parliament. This is this is a gong show. Uh, this is a real weak leader and a leader, a weak leadership. And this is what happens in a time of difficulty that rather than working to unite ideas and to address legitimate grievances this guy's giving to name calling now if the people of my riding or where i live in oakville or you know brampton mississauga or hamilton or niagara think that's cool and it's good to vote for a prime minister does that well shame on you but a realistic country and a serious country would never allow such an unserious uh, dope to run the country. And I, I can't think of a, a more fundamental example of why we do not have leadership in this country than to point to the fact that Canadians, at least a minority of them, thought it was a brilliant idea to bring such a divisive character back. Look, he is won by virtue signaling. He is won by identity politics. He, play, he pits one region against the other, the rich versus the poor, men versus women. Look, yeah. there is nothing about this guy that even gives the confidence that he has the best interests of the country as a whole uh, in, in his heart. And, and it's for that reason that I, I find him despicable. And he's even willing to supr- suspend the Charter of Rights. My goodness, gracious his father must be rolling in his grave i admired his father worked for his father fought for his father this guy uh you know is is a clown and frankly if you voted for him (laughs) doesn't say much about you 
Uh, and we talk about, and we've talked about for years, how they've been shutting down the energy industry in Canada. Canada home to some huge natural gas reserves, which can help clean up the rest of the world, including coal. Europe's a perfect example of this. Uh, did we not think of Europe and their dependency on Russia when we make these decisions? Here's a great example how we can be helping the world, and instead we're, you know, we're shutting down pipelines so we can look good in front of the environmentalists, and, and the rest of the world suffers. What is Europe going to do? Well, obviously, Europe's been spending a whole amount of time looking before they leapt. They're going to jump into a pool that's empty. And the only person that's laughing, saying, I'll fill it up a little bit for you, maybe give a little sprinkling, is, uh, you know, uh, the dictator himself, uh, who is playing this, you know, (laughs) masterfully. That's, uh, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin. And, of course, he has his back, uh, his his kicks, uh, his sidekick, uh, uh, President uh, Xi Jinping. So, I mean, Canada had a golden opportunity but spent the past 10, 12, 15 years bending over backwards for foreign-funded activists, some, of course, who receive money from charities, which are not charities, uh, some of whom receive money from foreign entities uh, whose whole designation has been to hogtie Canada's energy sector, not just its oil sector, but its natural gas sector. And, Scott, let's not forget this country was in a recession before the, the pandemic, and that's because we tolerated in this country Surprise, surprise, when it comes back to bite you in the backside, we tolerated the blockages of our rail system, which shut down for well over a month just before the pandemic. So I think it's pretty clear to me, and it's becoming very evident, if you don't like a $1.56 for a liter of gasoline, you're paying all-time highs, your dollar is weak, your taxes are going to go up, you're trying to find a job, your, uh, your income is not increasing. You brought it upon yourself by voting for a group of people who have their own selfish grifting interests at heart. And by the way, I I have no problem. If you think you have access to the government, you can take money anytime you want and, uh, you know, go lecture the government, tell them what a terrible job they're doing and use this climate alarmism to the extreme power to you. But why are there so many dupes in our society who vote for this kind of nonsense where literally we're being green fleeced? Former Liberal MP Dan McTagg, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy, talking about everything from uh, border closures to Europe, looking for natural gas, and unfortunately, we're not much help. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. I will. Thanks very much, Scott. You take care. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.